continue with the series of the resurrection of the dead, which is the fifth out of the foundational uh, teachings taught to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at, over this, uh, today's teaching, most probably another teaching thereafter, we're looking at Christ, the first fruits, because we, we're talking about the resurrection of the dead and Christ is the first to have been raised from the dead. And so we want to have a look at his resurrection um, from two different points of view. Um, the one is what our Lord accomplished for the church when he died and when he was raised from the dead. And then we'll have a look at uh, his resurrected body because that will obviously give us an indication of what our resurrected bodies will be like when we receive our resurrected bodies when we are raised from the dead. And uh, we'll also have a look at um, what the scriptures have to say, the evidence given to us about the resurrection of the dead. For um, it is essential that the resurrection of the dead takes place for the Christian faith to make any sense. Um, Paul said that if, if Christ is not raised, then we are still in our sins and our faith is futile. And so it is essential to the Christian faith that uh, the resurrection of Christ has taken place and that we have um, that to look forward to and that we will be raised from the dead one day. And so let's have a look at some scripture uh, along the line as to what actually transpired when our Lord was uh, crucified and um, the result of that event that actually took place. And there's two scriptures I want to look at and I'm going to look at it from a different angle uh, today in that we're going to look at how Satan and his kingdom actually views the resurrection of Christ. Um, and uh, let's have a look at the scriptures and then we will I'll comment on them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse 3, the scripture says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And then in uh, John's epistles, we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so when we look at these two scriptures, it very plainly the, the, the um, Bible is teaching us that there's certain aspects of Satan's kingdom that they cannot acknowledge. Um, every demon out there cannot acknowledge these two specific truths. Um, and the, the one truth they cannot acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Uh, it is impossible for them to do that. And they can also not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. These are two truths that uh, Satan's, the whole of Satan's kingdom are barred from um, being able to proclaim. And the, the scriptures are given to us as a method of testing false prophets and also testing because there are people that are deal in the supernatural who, who um, are on the planet who are not in the kingdom of God. And they have access to supernatural powers. Um, and there are people who are demon-possessed and who are able to do things um, supernaturally. And so the, the way that the church is instructed to test the spirits as to whether they are of God or not is by these two methods. The one is to get the, that spirit to confess that Jesus is Lord. And if, that's, if the person who has that spirit can confess Jesus is Lord, well, then you know that uh, the, 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 whatever spirit is influencing them is, is not a, a false, a, a, a demonic spirit. But what you will find is that anybody who is operating in the supernatural um, and that supernatural power is not of God, they will not be able to confess that Jesus is Lord. No demon can confess Jesus is Lord. It's impossible for them to do that at this point in time. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss as to why that is. And they also cannot confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. 
Those are two litmus tests that we can um, put in place in order to, to determine when we're dealing with supernatural uh, spirits that are being manifested in the meetings for argument's sake, we're able to test whether those spirits are from God or not. Because those are the two um, events, and well, Jesus as Lord and Jesus is coming in the flesh, Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. Those are two aspects of our Lord's ministry that the demons cannot confess. Now, there is a reason for that. And the reason is very simple. is because they know that Jesus has, Christ has come in the flesh. And they do know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, demons don't need to believe this. Demons know this for a fact because their ruler is the one who was defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus went uh, to the cross, he went bearing the sin of the world. And um, Satan is the one who handed him over for crucifixion, which is why when um, Pilate said to the Lord, you know, aren't you going to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And our Lord's reply to him was that you have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me to you has the greatest sin, referring to Satan. And so Satan is the one who actually instigated the Lord's crucifixion. Now, he did that being deceived. The Bible says, in, the, in the, um, Paul talks to us in the book of Corinthians, he says, um, For the rulers of this world would not have crucified the Lord of glory had they, and, and that's a bit of a paraphrase, paraphrase but had they known what was going on, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Um, because they were deceived. They were deceived into thinking that the sin that the Lord was carrying upon him, for our Lord died, um, spiritually, because he, he, he when he was um, took on the on himself the the sin of the world, he was separated from God. God had to be separated from him because now um, Jesus had become sin, and so Satan was deceived into believing that Jesus had committed sin, and thus he had died spiritually. But that's not the case at all. Uh, what had happened was our Lord committed no sin but he had taken upon himself the sin of the world and so when he he died spiritually and he was then handed over to satan's kingdom because he now was carrying sin satan thought oh great i've got you now now i'm going to take you down because at that time satan had the keys to hades and to death and satan had the power of death at that particular point in time and that was one of the 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 bargaining not bargaining points but that was one of the he that was his his insurance policy that he had with God God couldn't he he knew that as long as he held the keys to Hades and to death God would not be able to um dethrone him so to speak because he had the the the, the um power over all who had died including those who were in Abraham's bosom because Satan had the keys to the uh, um to, the, uh, to Hades and to death, and he had the power of death. And so he, he held these people captive. So he thinks, okay, I've got you, uh, Jesus, you're mine now. And so he, our Lord is taken down to the lowest pit of, of hell. The Bible talks about in the book of Psalms that he was put into the lowest pit. And we've already discussed the fact that the lower you go down into hell, the, the more uh, suffering is encountered because that is where the wicked, more, more and more wicked are, are, are placed. And our Lord went to the bottom of, of the pit of hell and he suffered um, in hell for three days and three nights. And when he suffered in hell, he was incurring the wrath of God the Father um, for our sin. He was, Jesus was suffering for our sin at that particular point in time. And the, the wrath that he was experiencing was the wrath of God because of our sin. At that time, it, it, it's difficult for us to understand all of the spiritual connotations and, and how things took place in the spirit realm. But the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus was being held by those who were stronger than he was. For you must understand, Jesus was still a man. He was, he, he was a man just like you and I when he went to the cross, when he took upon himself the sin of the world. Now, he had the capacity, he was the Son of God, but he was still um, 
in in the form of a man he was still being he was still a man all through that experience when even when he was in hell he was he was enduring that as a man and that's why the bible talks about that our lord for a little while was made lower than the angels and now the angels that our lord was made lower than were satan and his angels for they were stronger than he you you go look at the psalms account in uh, in the book of psalms there's uh, two psalms that gives us a very detailed account of what actually transpired when our lord goes down into hell and he get, he went down there for three days and three nights and he suffered uh for our sins and he incurred god's wrath for our sins and he was being held by those who were stronger than him. And those were the, the angelic beings that were inflicting um, the, the torment that our Lord went through when he was in the pit of hell. However, at the end of the time when he had suffered enough and God had now, he had paid the price for every sin ever to be committed. Um, the Bible says that he was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised up because of our justification. And so when God saw us as being justified, in other words, um, heaven's demand of, of the eternal punishment for the sins committed had now been met, um, Jesus could now be raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, he was raised in the pit of hell. God, the Spirit of God entered Jesus when he was there. And it was at that time that Jesus then um, destroyed Satan and destroyed his, his angels and made an open show of them. The Bible talks about the fact that um, he, you know, the, the Spirit of God, you've got to read the, the Psalms account, it's quite, it's quite graphic about how the Spirit of God comes into our Lord and he's raised from the dead and he pursues his enemies and he overtakes them because now they're obviously fleeing in terror because they realize something's wrong because they thought that they had the Lord for all eternity. They thought that he was now their captive in the pit of hell. However, uh, that's not what happened because our Lord was raised from, because Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. And so hell and death could not hold him because he had not committed any sin. The only reason that he was there was to pay for our sins. And so once he had paid the price for our sins, God was able to now raise him from the dead. And so when our Lord was raised from the dead in the pit of hell, he then destroyed, the Bible talks about, he, he disarmed principalities and powers. Um, and made an open show of them. The Bible talks about the fact that our Lord placed his foot on the back of the necks of his enemies. And so Satan and all of his angelic hosts who were with him, Jesus triumphed over them, and he put his foot on the, the back of their necks. And the Bible talks about them crying out for mercy, and they even cried out to God um, for, for, for help. You know, because of what Jesus was doing to them in, 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 uh, in the pit of hell. And God didn't hear that, obviously, because it was his son who was doing what he was called to do. And so they were completely taken by surprise. They, they were completely deceived. You know, the deceiver, Satan's called the, the deceiver, and he was deceived. Because as I say in Corinthians, the, the scriptures tell us that had they known what was going on, they would never have touched Jesus. They would have not let anyone come near him to crucify him. But they didn't understand what was going on. This was all the purpose and the plan of God right from the beginning. And they crucified the Lord of glory in ignorance. Um, they thought, oh great, we've got now the, 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 the heir of the throne and uh, we can do what we like to him. And so our Lord is raised from the dead in the, in the pit of hell. And that's where he destroys Satan and his angels. And he overcomes them. And he then takes from them the keys of Hades and of death. And he is then raised by God the Father. And he ascends into heaven. And that's why our Lord can say to us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. Because of the fact that he has now been raised from the dead and he has destroyed Satan and his kingdom. Now, even though our Lord has destroyed Satan and his power, um, Satan is still the God of this world. That has not changed. The, the, it, in, it, there's no, no um, 
sure scripture given to us, but the the inference is very strong that Satan has received a kingdom from God for a period of time. And that period of time has not come to it, drawn to an end yet. And so as long as that period of, of time is still uh, there, Satan remains the God of this world. So it, 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 it seems that Adam was given a lease period. And so when Satan became the God of this world, when Adam uh, committed high treason and sold the world out to Satan, um, Satan then stepped into this realm as the God of this world, and he is able to exercise his power as um, still the God of this world until his time runs out. That time has not yet run out. Um, we don't know when that time will run out. It seems to be drawing to a close pretty soon. But until that time, Satan remains the God of this world. Now, he is a defeated foe, for our Lord has placed his foot on the back of Satan's neck and has completely destroyed him. He's made an open show of him. Um, he has disarmed him. And as our Lord said to us when he ascended on high, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore into all the nations. And so on the earth, our Lord has delegated his authority to, authority to the church. And so the church has authority over Satan because of what the Lord has done. And so we, in, in as um, members of the body of Christ, are in a place where we exercise authority over Satan. However, Satan exercises authority in the earth because he still remains the God of this world. And so all unbelievers are still part of his kingdom. And the believer is not part of Satan's kingdom. So he has no authority over us. And in fact, we in turn, we actually have authority over him and over all the power of the enemy. Our Lord has given us that authority. However, Satan still has authority over the earth for he is still the God of this world. And he is still the deceiver of the nations. That has not ended. And so that is the reason why no one in his kingdom, when I say no one, I'm talking about no angelic um, member of his kingdom, no one in, Satan, in, the, in the angelic realm, no demon spirit, um, can confess Jesus Christ is Lord and can confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Because for, in order for them to do that, they would be shooting themselves in the foot because they cannot then deceive the nations anymore if they can go around saying, yeah, Jesus actually is Lord and Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Um, now they're going to be testifying on behalf of the Lord. And so they will not do that. Satan has obviously barred each one in his kingdom from doing that. And they, they're very obedient to Satan. They, you know, they, they, that's how that realm works. Remember our Lord said to, to us, Satan can't cast out Satan because if, he, if his kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom will fall. And so that kingdom is not divided against itself. That kingdom is very rigidly run and everybody obeys what Satan tells them to do in that kingdom. Um, and so that is why no demon spirit, if we encounter the demon spirit on the earth, can ever, it's impossible for them to do it at this point in time. They cannot confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they cannot confess that Jesus Christ has come in the, in the flesh. For in order for them to do that, they would have to acknowledge that um, Satan has been destroyed. And they cannot acknowledge that at this time because Satan is still the God of this world, and Satan is still the deceiver of the nations. And so he will continue to deceive the nations in that Jesus is not Lord in, from their point of view and Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh from their point of view because they need to be able to deceive the nations. That's what Satan is all about. And so that's where we, we stand with regards to what transpired when our Lord went into hell and when God raised him from the dead and what he did to Satan and to his kingdom. And that is why as, uh, I, I, I've looked at it from a different angle of what it is that the demons cannot do and they cannot acknowledge that Jesus Christ has uh, risen from the dead and they cannot acknowledge that Jesus Christ has um, come in the flesh. That's Satan and his kingdom, although they know it, because, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fact in their kingdom. They know, it, and that's why they do bow the knee. Look, they are going to bow the knee when our Lord does return, and when, uh, when the church judges Satan and his angels at the end of the age, they will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. They will, that, that will be then a given. They, there's going to be no denying it on that day. Um, 
But at this time, they do deny it, and, and it's impossible for them not to deny it because it, they will basically be destroying their own kingdom by doing that. So that's Satan and his kingdom. What about the world? And how does the world view the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because we, we're talking today about Christ, the first fruits. Christ had been raised from the dead. He's the first one to have been raised from the dead. And so he has preeminence in everything because he is first. Um, and we'll have a look at scripture along that particular line. But he is Lord of all. And so Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead. Satan and his kingdom know it. They've experienced it. They experienced it in a horrible manner. We don't understand how what transpired in the spirit realm. We don't understand what, how, how angels, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that the war is going to break out in heaven and Michael and his angels are going to fight against Satan and his angels. We don't understand how angelic um, confrontation takes place and, and the, uh, what actually happens. You know, we, we see war in, in, in the natural and we see how people can kill each other, but we don't understand how angelic beings um, are, interact with each other when they do battle for argument's sake, and they, and they do battle. And in the spirit realm, that's exactly what transpired when our Lord was raised from the dead. He did battle with Satan and with his angels, and he overcame them, and he destroyed them. The Bible talks about the fact that he destroyed them completely. Um, and so many, you go read it in the Psalms, they cried out to God, even to God, the Bible says, for help. And God didn't hear them um, because Jesus was uh, authorized by God to destroy them. So we have no idea really what that meant, but it certainly was uh, an event that sent shockwaves through Satan's kingdom because their ruler had now been destroyed by the Lord of glory. And they know it, and they, they, they do not, um, the word, they do deny it, but they, you know, it's not a case that they don't know it happened. They know it happened. But in order for them to be able to deceive the nations, they have to um, be able to pretend that it didn't happen. And they can do that for this least period that Satan still has. So what about the world's view? I'm talking about now unbelievers. Um, so this is, and all unbelievers are part of Satan's kingdom. He is the God of this world. And so they, all unbelievers, to a greater or lesser degree, fall under Satan's rule and authority. And uh, that's how it is. We fall under the kingdom of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about when we get born again, God translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so all unbelievers are under the rule of Satan to a greater or lesser degree. Now, some are more controlled by him uh, than others, but everyone, unbelievers, uh, are controlled by Satan, whether they believe in Allah or Buddha or uh, Hare Krishna, whoever they might believe, or atheist, whatever they believe in, or even the Satanists, all of them are under Satan's rule, for he is the God of this world. So what, are the, what is the view of the human unbelievers that are on the planet about uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll have a look at a couple of scriptures just to see what the, the world's view is and how they view um, the resurrection of Christ. And we'll look at in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 11. The scripture says, Now while they were still going, behold, some of the God came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave them a large sum of money to gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, "Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure." So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And so when our Lord was raised, you, you remember the account when our Lord was raised from the dead, what happened was the angel came down and he rolled back the stone. And the, uh, the, the Pharisees, the leaders, the Jewish leaders had put a, a, a temple god over that tomb because they knew they, 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 they weren't that uh, ignorant of what our Lord was saying. They knew our Lord had said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. 
Um, and the scripture says, yeah, people were thinking that, they, that he was talking about the physical temple, um, but he was talking about his body. The leaders knew that. The leaders knew that Jesus was talking about his body because they go to, uh, to Pilate after Jesus was crucified and buried. And they ask him, let's put a guard over, the, over his tomb because we remember that he said, after three days I will be raised up. And so let's put a guard there so that nobody can come steal his body. And then the, the, the decept, last deception is worse than the first. So they knew that uh, Jesus had said he was going to rise after three days. So they, Pilate says, you guys have got your own temple guard. You guys go do it and put your guard there. So they do that. They put this guard over the, the, um, the tomb, however many soldiers it might have been. And what happens is God sends the angel when our Lord is raised from the dead. He rolls back the stone and he sits on the stone. And his countenance is a, a, you know, a very powerful angelic uh, appearance. And uh, the guards kind of faint, half of them faint, and they, and they all run away in terror. And they go to the chief priest and they tell him, this is what's happened. You know? So now the chief priests have got a problem because the very people that they put to guard the tomb are coming back to them and saying, this angel has just appeared and uh, you know, this, this Jesus has risen from the dead. And so they've got to try and put a cap on this straight away. So what they do is they, because they can't, you know, they couldn't threaten the, the gods and say, you guys are lying. Because the guys, and you, you, you fell asleep and um, they're going to say, well, we'll just tell it like it is, you know, and because that would have been a very powerful witness. So they, they, they don't want the gods running around telling everybody what they saw. So they want them to shut up. So what they do is they say, okay, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll, they bribe them. We'll give you, and they talk about a large sum of money, it must have been a huge amount of money, that they gave and they said, you now need to tell everybody that you guys fell asleep and they came and stole the body while you were sleeping. Now there was a death penalty over that had they done that, had they uh, fallen asleep on, on, on duty. And uh, so that's why the, the, the Pharisees and, that, and the leaders are saying to them, if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll appease him. You know, we'll make sure that he doesn't uh, kind of uh, put you guys to death because you fell asleep uh, while you were guarding. So that is what the deception kicks in straight away. The world straight, straight away is trying to cover up the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Um, and the Bible says, and that saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And then another scripture we see is in Acts chapter 25, beginning at verse 13. And the scripture says, and after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. And when there had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for a judgment against him. In verse 18, When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And so here we have um, Festus, his view is that you know, this, this chap that they're all talking about, this chap by the name of Jesus, um, who's died. Now, Paul is saying this guy is not dead. He actually is alive. Um, but Festus is just kind of putting it out there from the world's point of view at that time that, you know, there, there was this guy called Jesus and he's died. And now there's this debate. Some, 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 some guys are saying he's not dead but the rest of the Jews are saying he is dead. And so the world's view about our Lord Jesus kind of, that kind of um, encapsulates the world's view of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. The world's view is that Jesus Christ did live and he did die. He was a historical figure and he lived on the earth 2,000 years ago. There is no debate um, among any, any unbeliever out there in the world that Jesus uh, was a man, he came to the earth and he lived and he died. Um, there's views about who he was and what he did. 
A lot of people say, yes, he might have been a prophet. Some people say, yes, he was a good, a good person. A lot of people say, no, he was a deceiver. He, you know, he deceived people. Um, so there's different viewpoints about who he was. Um, but there's very, you know, there's obviously some crackpots out there. But the vast majority of unbelievers now acknowledge that Jesus lived, because there's so much um, historical evidence. There's more historical evidence of Jesus' life on the earth than any other historical figure um, over, over history. And so, you know, th there's no doubt that everybody acknowledges that Jesus it was a man. He was born in, Jerus in um, Israel in the, at that time. He lived for a period of time, and then he died. And that's where the world stops to agree with the church. The world always agrees up until that point, okay? Uh, although it's also interesting, although every single person out there who has any knowledge of history acknowledges that Jesus was there, he was a, a man, he lived and he died, um, the Muslim faith, they're the only ones that do not acknowledge that Jesus died. Um, and that is very significant. As we go through the teaching, you'll see why. But their faith um, you know, preaches that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that just before um, his death, God did a switch and put a double there. And so the, the, the person who died on the cross was not Jesus, but somebody who was like Jesus. Uh, and Jesus was taken up into heaven. And so that's how the Muslims view the, the crucifixion. They're the only ones who disagree uh, that Jesus died. Everybody agrees Jesus lived. And nearly every unbeliever agrees that Jesus died. But as I say, the Muslim faith do not agree that Jesus died. Anyway, be that as it may. So that's how the world views Jesus' life. But when it comes to the resurrection, the world denies that emphatically. They do not acknowledge that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that stemmed right from the start. We saw right from the very beginning when those, those soldiers, who were unbelievers, by the way, uh, witnessed the resurrection of our Lord. They didn't see the res resurrected Lord. They saw the angel appearing and rolling away the stone. Um, and they obviously saw the empty tomb because, you know, had our, bodies, our Lord's body still been there, they wouldn't have run away to, to the elders and said, look, yeah, the, the, the body's gone. Um, they they recognized that the body wasn't there anymore, that our Lord's body had been raised. And so right from the very start, the world has, has denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They do not deny the, the, the birth and the life and the death of Jesus, but they deny the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through the resurrection that our faith really kicks in, because it's only because Christ was raised from the dead that we are saved. For had Jesus never been raised from the dead, we would still be in our sins. It was imperative that the Lord had to be raised from the dead. He had to ascend into heaven with his, his blood and into the Holy of Holies and offer up his blood as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And that sacrifice had to be accepted by God. And when it was accepted by God, then and only then could we be born again. Had that not happened, we would all still be in our sins. No one would be saved. And so the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. Uh, without it, um, Jesus did a fantastic work when he was on the earth. He displayed the power of God when he was on the earth. He died for us. He went into hell. He suffered. But if he never was raised from the dead, that's it. He's still in hell today. And we're going to join him in hell as well when we perish because there is no sacrifice. There is no cleansing sacrifice for our sins. But Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He did ascend into heaven. He has ascended to the Father. He has presented his blood. That sacrifice has been accepted by God the Father. And because of that, we can be born again and we can be, um, become sons and daughters of the Most High God. But that's the viewpoint of the world. So Satan's kingdom knows that Jesus was raised from the dead. They experienced his resurrection. And they don't want to um, let anybody know that, that exactly what, that's what happened, but that's what happened. The, un, the, the world is under the, the God of this world, and as the God of this world, he blinds their minds to this truth. And so they're deceived. They cannot acknowledge 
as Satan's demons cannot acknowledge, so the world cannot acknowledge that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Um, because if they do, they have to then uh, acknowledge the, the ramifications thereof, and they will not do that. And so what is the church's uh, viewpoint of the resurrection? Well, we've been given eyewitness testimony that our Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're going to have a look at uh, some accounts in Scripture now giving us the eyewitness testimony of our Lord being raised from the dead because it's essential um, that we have full grounding in the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And uh, the scriptures we want to look at is in Acts um, chapter 10, beginning at verse 40, firstly. Um, Peter speaking here, he said, Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And so when Peter makes this comment, he's preaching to the Gentiles for the very first time. And he's, he has six Jewish brethren that are with him. Uh, so when he says um, in verse 41, not to all the people, but to witness just, witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. He's referring to himself and to his six colleagues that are with him uh, when he's preaching to the Gentiles. And so what Peter says here is that um, God raised our Lord Jesus uh, on the third day and he showed him openly, but not to all the people. So when, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't go back into the temple and then say, say to everybody, here I am. You guys crucified me three days ago. Now look at me, I'm back. Um, not the case. God had chosen beforehand certain individuals who he had preordained would be allowed to see the risen Lord. And the, we're going to go through, look at the accounts of those individuals, not all of them, but some of the accounts of those individuals whom God had chosen and preordained to see the risen Lord. And the, the first account is Peter and the six brethren that were with him. They had not only seen our, our, our risen Lord after he had been raised from the dead, but he, Peter says they also ate and drank with him after he had been raised from the dead. Now, we know of two accounts in Scripture where our Lord ate and drank with the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The, ver the first account we know about is when our Lord appeared that night the very first night that he was raised from the dead, um, all of the disciples were locked in the, in the inner room and our Lord appeared to them in that instance. And remember, our Lord uh, had to convince them because now they've seen the risen, risen Lord for the very first time. He had to convince them that it was him and that he had been raised from the dead, that they weren't seeing a ghost, a spirit. And so our Lord said, handle me, uh, uh, Feel me. Uh, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones such as you see I have. Now, what our Lord had done in that, that night, uh, quite a few things he did to convince the disciples. Because you must understand, they are really struggling to get their minds around this. No one has ever been raised from the dead before. Like this. Uh, they'd seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And they'd seen the little girl raised from the dead. And they'd seen the young man from Nain raised from the dead. But they had not seen... Jesus raised from the dead three days after he had died and now walking among them within, in, in this resurrected body. And so our Lord does quite a few things to, to, to help the disciples to get around this, their, their minds to, get, to grasp what it is to be raised from the dead in this resurrected body that the Lord has. Because in our Lord's hands, he shows them his hands. And what he does, because we get the inference of it when, later when he appears, with, when Thomas is there, is that our Lord got the holes in his hands from the nails that went into his hands when he was on the cross. Those holes remain there. God, in his wisdom, has never healed those holes. Uh, they're still there as, as, a, as a, uh, a reminder to, to himself and to the rest of, of, of his saints, that's what I've done for you for all eternity. And so the holes are there. And so what our Lord let the disciples do was actually put their fingers into the hole. And they could see their, their finger come out on the other side. 
um, that's one of the things the Lord did to them, to, to show them, look, I'm, this is my resurrected body. This is um, what your body is going to be like. And then the other thing that our Lord did, remember when he was on the cross, they, they, they thrust the spear into his side. Now, God also didn't heal that um, hole that the spear made in his side. God left that hole there. And so that hole is, is, is that big that the disciples could even put their hand into it. And so our Lord did that. He allowed them to put their hand into uh, the, the hole in his side that was created by the spear that uh, day when he was on the cross. Um, and that is another sign to the disciples. And you can go read the account because Thomas said, you know, unless I can do what you guys did, uh, I'm not going to believe. And our Lord sorted him out when he appeared to him again, eight days later. But the Lord did something else in that the Lord said, okay, if you guys got any food here? And so they had um, a honeycomb and they had some broiled fish and they gave it to him. And he sat down and he ate that in their presence while he was talking to them. And then he disappeared after he'd finished. So he was just, our Lord was just showing you this, uh, us, what our resurrected bodies are going to be like. We can partake of food and still disappear uh, from this realm into the spirit realm at, at, at our will. And so that's the one occasion where our Lord ate and drank with the disciples. The other occasion where our Lord ate and drank with the disciples is when he, he prepared breakfast uh, for the disciples. Um, on that occasion, they were in Galilee, and there were six of them again, six disciples. Peter was there. Um, Nathaniel was there, John was there, uh, Philip was there, and uh, there were six in all. And our Lord appeared, and they'd been fishing, and our Lord had started a fish bry on the uh, on the shore. And when they came to the shore, the fish were on the on the coals, and there was bread there. And our Lord said, bring some of the fish you guys have just caught. And so they gave him some of the fresh fish they just caught. And so, you know, they, 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 they bribed the fish and, and our Lord served them. He actually gave them bread and gave them fish and they sat and they ate with him. And he had breakfast with them. And obviously they spoke about the things of the kingdom of God. So those are the two occasions we know in scripture where the disciples ate and drank with our Lord after he was raised from the dead, which is what Peter is referring to here. Now, there might have been other occasions because... Not every occasion where our Lord appeared to the saints after he was risen from the dead is recorded for us in Scripture. For it was for a period of 40 days from the time that uh, he was raised from the dead until the time he, was, uh, he went up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. For that 40-day period, our Lord appeared to the disciples on numerous occasions and interacted with them and discussed things about the kingdom of God with them and taught them. And so Peter refers to... Um, him and the six uh, brethren that were with him at that time had seen the risen Lord. Then the other scripture we want to look at um, to give us accounts of witnesses who had seen the Lord being raised from the dead is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 3. Um, Paul writing to us about witnesses who had seen our Lord raised from the dead. And he says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And now Paul gives us a chronological uh, account of individuals who had seen the risen Lord at the time of Paul writing his letter to the church at Corinth. Now when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, uh, roughly 25 years had elapsed from the time that the Lord was risen from the dead until the time that Paul's writing this letter. And so uh, you can we'll understand why that we need to understand that 25-year gap. And so now Paul lists the people that our Lord had uh, appeared to after he had been raised from the dead. He says, And that he was seen by Cephas, Cephas being Peter, then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So that's the 25-year period. So since the Lord had uh, appeared to these people, 25 years had elapsed. And so some of, the, some of the saints in that time period had fallen asleep because, you know, a 25-year period, uh, somebody who was 60 years old when the Lord appeared, uh, is now was 85 and so has gone on to be with the Lord. But most of them, he says, um, 
a greater part remained to present uh, to the present. So most of them were still alive, but uh, some of them had already fallen asleep. And then he says in verse 7, after that he was seen by James, that's the Lord's brother, then by all the apostles. And then last of all, seen by, was seen by me also as one, one born out of due time. And so let's just unpack this chronological uh, event of people who saw the risen Lord. Uh, Paul talks about Peter uh, had seen the risen Lord. And so our Lord appeared to Peter on the afternoon that he was raised from the dead. You will recall when our Lord was raised from the dead, Magda, uh, Mary Magdalene saw him for the first. Uh, the, uh, he, she's, she's the first one to have seen him. And at that time, our Lord said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to our Father. And so he had then ascended into heaven. He presented himself as the perfect sacrifice before God. And God accepted the sacrifice. Our Lord then returned to the earth and began to appear to the disciples as God willed. And so that he comes back and that afternoon he appears to Peter because the scriptures talk about when the, uh, the two from Emmaus come back, they say Jesus has appeared to Peter as well. You know, the Lord's appeared to Peter. So that's where Peter sees him first. I'm, I'm just going to go through the, the list given to us by Paul because there's more in than what Paul lists and we'll maybe touch on some of those people. But let's just deal with it. So our Lord appeared to Peter that afternoon. Then Paul says, then our Lord appeared to the twelve. I'm, I'm saying it in my terms, but in verse 5 it says, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. All right, so when was he seen by the twelve? When Paul talks about the twelve, he's talking about the twelve apostles of the Lamb. There are only twelve apostles of the Lamb. And those twelve apostles of the Lamb are going to be seated on twelve thrones, and they will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. The uh, twelve foundations of the New Jerusalem have the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb written on them. And so Paul refers to the twelve, the twelve as the twelve, being the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now Paul doesn't put himself in the, that, that number. He doesn't say, I was part of the twelve, because he was never, because people say, okay, uh, the church missed it, Paul was actually called by God to be one of the apostles of the Lamb. No, he was never. Because you go study scripture, you need to understand uh, the qualifications to stand in that office uh, is that you had to have been with Jesus from the baptism of John until the Lord's res resurrection from the dead. And so Paul wasn't there at all. So Paul could never have been an apostle of the Lamb. So, but Paul does say that the twelve saw our Lord Jesus. So we know that night that Matthias would have been, because Matthias was the twelfth apostle chosen um, by the Lord, twelve apostles of the Lamb. So Matthias must have been there that night that our Lord appeared, because Thomas wasn't there. And so our Lord appeared to Thomas with the other disciples again eight days later, the scripture talks about. And so that's when he says the twelve. So Paul is talking about over that eight-day period, our Lord appeared to the twelve. Because then he, Matthias and Thomas got to see him in that eight-day period. After that, um, Paul talks about he was then seen by over 500 brethren at once. So what is this event where our Lord was seen by 500 brethren at once? This is when our Lord appeared to the disciples in Galilee. All the time through our Lord's ministry, he kept saying to the guys, after I have been raised from the dead, I will go to Galilee and you will see me there. The angels, when they uh, witnessed to the disciples after our Lord has been raised from the dead, they say to the, to the disciples, they say to, the, to Mary and to them, uh, you need to go down to Galilee where our Lord said he would appear to you. And our Lord had shown the disciples which mountain he would be on. And they had to go down to Galilee at that particular time, to that particular location, that mountain, and the Lord would then appear to them. Now, the Lord had given that instruction to all of his disciples. Um, and there were 500. The Bible talks about over 500. Uh, just, uh, it doesn't say how many, but it says by over 500 brethren. So there were over 500 who congregated at this, on this mountain in Galilee in that 40-day period. The scripture doesn't tell us when it happened. But it, 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 the chronological sequence of events, our Lord appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem when they were there after he was raised from the dead. They, he, then, he would have appeared to them in Galilee after that. 
And then they would have gone back to Jerusalem after our Lord appeared to them in Galilee, because we know of accounts in Scripture in the book of Acts and the book of Luke, where our Lord then appeared to them in Jerusalem again, just before he ascended into heaven. So it's in that interim period that all of the saints gather to this mountain in Galilee at the set time, and our Lord then appears to them, all of them at the same time, over, by over 500. And that is the account that Paul is writing about here when he says, and he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. This was the time when our Lord appeared to all of them in Galilee on that mountain as he said he would. Now it's an interesting uh, comment that I think it's Luke's account that makes the comment. Um, one of the gospel accounts makes the comment. Let's just go back to the, the first night that our Lord appears to the disciples. They struggled to believe that this was Jesus standing in front of them because the Bible talks about they, you know, they doubted. And our Lord said, don't be unbelieving, but believe in, you know, and he rebuked their unbelief, okay? So, and he had to do quite a lot of things to prove that, yeah, I am, I'm the risen Lord, you've seen me. Um, he had to let them see, put their fingers in his hands and that. And so he had to overcome the, 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 the doubts. They, they, their minds were completely blown by this event. They couldn't get their minds to understand what was going on. And so, you know, he, the Lord had to overcome that. And so if you go read the account, the Bible talks about that, you know, they were doubting and, and God had to you know, prove to them, this is me, guys. So when, when the scripture talks about when, I'll, when they go to the mountain, because the Bible only talks about the fact that the, the apostles, the, and it talks about the 11 at that time. Um, so Matthias was there, but he hadn't yet been named an apostle, because remember, Matthias was only named an apostle after our Lord had gone into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. In the book of Acts, Matthias gets chosen as an apostle of the Lamb. And so when um, they go, and the, so the scripture only talks about the 11 going to the mountain, but all 500 go to the mountain. For our Lord had spoken to the ladies and, he'd, you know, and the angels had spoken to the guys and said, you know, you need to get to Galilee. He said to you, that's where he's going to appear to you. That's where you need to go. And so all 500 go down there. When they're there, the, but the scripture says the 11 went, and, but some of them doubted. When they saw him, some of them doubted. Now, it, 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 couldn't, it was not talking about the 11 apostles because those 11, the Lord had sorted out the, you know, a week or two before when he had appeared to them in the room and sorted out all their doubts. But of the 500 who are now seeing the risen Lord for the very first time, they also are going through the same thing that the apostles and the other disciples, because there was more than just the apostles in that room that night. Um, they're going through the same thing. They, they're really struggling to get their minds to grasp this fact that here in front of them is the risen Lord in his resurrected body. And that's why the scripture says, you can go read the account, and some doubt it. Um, because, you know, it's just uh, at that time a difficult thing for the saints to get their minds around. And so that's the 500 that Paul talks about. And then he says in verse 7, after that he was seen by James. Now when he talks about James, he's talking about James the Lord's brother. Uh, our Lord had four brothers. Um, of the brothers that he had, James is the, the second oldest in the family. So Jesus was the oldest. James was then his, young, his, his younger brother. And Jude, it, it looks like, was the youngest brother. Uh, out of the four. So our Lord had four brothers and he had three sisters. It was a big family he grew up in. What happened is when our Lord, uh, his, his time came and now he had to uh, show himself, to reveal himself to Israel as uh, the, the Messiah and the Son of God, the family you know, completely lost it because they knew him as Jesus, their brother their, and he, uh, he, he, the, the son. No one suspected that they were growing up with the Son of God. And so they didn't believe in him. His family did not believe in him. And so uh, James and Jude would have been in that um, unbelieving crowd. And so what I look, God had chosen those two brothers of our Lord, James and Jude, to become apostles. And so what God did and our Lord, in, his, in his wisdom and in his grace is that he allowed the Lord Jesus to appear to James. Paul doesn't talk about the Lord appearing to Jude, but the Lord would have appeared to Jude as well, because he was also an apostle. 
And um, so James he gets a one-on-one -on -one encounter with the Lord Jesus. And he realizes that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And you must understand, James, it must have been a shock to him because yeah, he'd grown up his whole life with his older brother, who uh, was maybe a year or two older than him, and had, you know, only known Jesus as his older brother right from when he was a toddler and never suspected. And when our Lord ministered on the earth for those years that he was on the, on the earth ministering in his ministry, he never believed. He thought that he'd lost his mind. Remember, there was a time when the family came to fetch Jesus because they thought that, you know, he's, he's, he's become a, a bit of a nutter. And so they wanted to actually maybe, you know, try and put him away or something like that because they couldn't get their minds around the fact that this brother that they'd grown up with is now the son of God. They, they you know, just couldn't get it right. Anyway, so our Lord appears to, to James. And uh, James is obviously then a believer, and James, James is born again. We won't get, go into Jude's account because uh, we're looking at what Paul reveals to us here. And then Paul says, and then by all the apostles. Now, when Paul says, and then by all the apostles, he's not talking about the 12 apostles of the Lamb, because he's talking chrono chronologically. Yeah? He's saying, first by the 12, first by Cephas, then by the 12, then by the 500, then by James, then by all the apostles. And so he, when Paul's saying, then by all the apostles, he's talking about all the other apostles appointed by the Lord. Um, and then he puts himself into the category. He says, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time, because Paul was also an apostle. Barnabas was an apostle. Um, who else? There's, there's, there's 23 people in the New Testament recorded as apostles. Um, and we can't go through all of the, the juniors, one of them. There's a, there's a whole group that are called apostles because they are. They, they were apostles. They were not apostles of the land. It could only be 12 apostles of the land. And their qualification had to be that they had to have been with the Lord uh, in his ministry uh, from the time of John the Baptist all the, until the time that our Lord was uh, taken up into heaven. And so those 12 were the witnesses appointed by the Lord as the 12 apostles of the Lamb. However, there were many other apostles appointed by God. Um, and the qualification, one of the qualifications in order to stand in the office of apostle is you have to have seen the Lord Jesus at some point in your ministry. Because Paul says it very plainly here, then by all the apostles, our Lord appeared to each and every one of them. And Paul, in qualifying, in writing to the church at, church at Corinth, he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And so one of the qualifications required in order for an individual to stand in the office, well, there are the five offices, main ministry gifts. There are other ministry gifts, but there are five main ministry gifts, which is apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. In order for an individual to be called to stand in the office of the apostle, one of the qualifications that individual will have is that they will have seen, physically, seen the risen Lord at some point in their ministry. And so people who go around calling themselves apostles and have not seen the risen Lord um, are being deceived. That's not scriptural. One of their qualifications is that they would have seen the risen Lord. And Paul says, then our Lord was seen by all the apostles. And he doesn't tell us how many, but we, as I say, the scriptures does refer to 23 individuals listed as apostles. Now there's obviously of those 23, 12 of the apostles of the Lamb. So there's at least another 11 that we know about recorded in scripture as being apostles as well. And so that's one of the criteria for individuals to have been uh, to stand in that office. They would have seen our risen Lord at some stage in their ministry. Um, before we touch on the next scripture, I just wanted to make some uh, other comment here. And that is all of the feasts, uh, there are seven feasts that, are, are, that God has put in place in scripture. And all of the feasts are ordained by God. And if each one of those feasts... Um, pointed to a future event that was going to take place in, in, in Scripture, and also pointed to the risen, to our Lord Jesus Christ, for He fulfills all of the feasts. And four of the feasts have already been fulfilled uh, through Jesus Christ and through His ministry. Three of the feasts are still outstanding and still have yet to be fulfilled, but four of them have been fulfilled. 
And part, what we're looking at now is Christ the first fruits. And that is one of the feasts that have been fulfilled. And we'll have a look at the scripture now, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, before I read it. The, the other three feasts that have been fulfilled, the feast of Fa Passover has been fulfilled, for Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb of God. He has uh, fulfilled that. The feast of unleavened bread has been fulfilled, for our Lord Jesus is the unleavened bread of, all, of which we all are partakers. By the way, that particular feast we still observe today, because the Feast of Unleavened Bread talks about having no sin in your life. And so we, as saints uh, today, are to have no sin in our lives and we to continue partaking. For that feast lasted over seven days. Seven days they were not to have any leaven in their homes. And so it, it speaks of the life of the Christian. From the time we're born again until the time we go to be with the Lord, we're not to have any sin in our lives. Um, be that as it may. And then there's the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the, uh, the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit on His church. And so the, those are the feasts that have been fulfilled. But the other feast that was fulfilled is the Feast of First Fruits. And this is the scripture. In verse 20 it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus Christ is fulfilled, for He has been, the, He is the first to be raised from the dead, and has become the first fruits of all of us uh, who ha will fall asleep and have fallen asleep. Um, Jesus Christ has fulfilled that particular feast. He is the first fruits, and He has been raised from the dead. Um, we've looked at the Paul's chronological sequence of, of those who have seen our Lord raised from the dead um, but there were others that have seen our Lord we know about Mary Magdalene saw the Lord there were the other ladies that were with her also saw the risen Lord the two disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, they saw the Lord for our Lord came and spoke to them and uh, broke bread with them um, and so there are other, other accounts in scripture given to us of individuals who have who saw our risen Lord so Paul didn't give us a, a complete account he gave us a chronological account of those who had seen the Lord being raised from the dead but he didn't give a complete account um, because there were others and it might be that the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were, were apostles because our Lord appeared to them spoke to them about the things of the kingdom of God and that's one of the qualifications for one to stand in the office of the apostle is that the Lord will appear to you and, and the Lord will then um, give you instruction concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Since that time, since uh, the people in the, in the scriptures who have seen our risen Lord, there have been many instances recorded to us over the centuries of instances where our Lord has appeared to individuals over that period of time. And we can even bring it to more recent times. And I'll give you two ex accounts of, of individuals to whom our Lord has appeared in more recent times. The one is that um, the Apostle Smith Wigglesworth, our Lord appeared to him. He's since gone to be with the Lord when, in 1947. But uh, on more than one occasion, the Lord appeared to him. Um, he doesn't talk about the Lord speaking to him. He, he talks about him seeing the Lord Jesus. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to go into, his, into details of his accounts, but there was more than one occasion that he acknowledged that the Lord Jesus appeared to, to him. And then we have the other uh, minister of the gospel, um, called him, he, himself a prophet. Chances are he was an apostle. And the Lord appeared to him is Kenneth Hagin Sr., the Lord appeared to him on numerous occasions. Kenneth Hagin's also gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, he went to be with the Lord in 2003. And so these are recent, pretty recent uh, events of individuals to whom the Lord has appeared. Now there are others that the Lord has appeared to over the centuries and even in more recent times that our Lord has appeared to. Now in all of these accounts, these are people, these are individuals who are people of integrity. I mean, you know, really, the, the, the guys who wrote the, the Bible for us, Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, all men of integrity. And you go look at the, the individuals to whom the Lord has appeared over the centuries. They would also be men and women of integrity that our Lord has um, uh, made himself known to by vi um, visibly appearing to them. 
And so these individuals have given us these accounts and they are all people of integrity. And so as eyewitnesses, we have such a, a wealth of, of testimony that we can rely on as believers that Christ Jesus is the first fruits. He has risen from the dead and he has been uh, raised from the dead by God the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, he has been given a name above all names. He is our risen Lord. Now, uh, we most Christians, uh, 99.9999% of the body of Christ will not see the risen Lord until such a time as we go to be with the Lord because God has only ordained that certain individuals will see the risen Lord. But remember what our Lord said to Thomas when, because uh, Thomas was, well, I think Thomas was just, his, his, his uh, pride was hurt a little bit because he wasn't there that night that the Lord appeared. And so when he comes in, everybody says, the Lord was here, he has appeared to us. And this is what he did, he ate with us and we, you know, he's got holes in his hands, you can put your fingers in, you've got a hole in his hand, you can put your hand in there. And so I think Thomas gets a little bit upset because, you know, why didn't the Lord wait until I got back? Why did he have to appear to everybody while I'm not here? And so Thomas says, I'm not going to believe. Unless I can do what you guys did, I'm not going to believe. So our Lord in his graciousness does appear to Thomas eight days later, the scripture says. And when he appears to Thomas, he says, Thomas, come. Don't be doubting but, and unbelieving, but believe. Yeah, put your hand, fingers in, put your hand in. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God. And so Thomas, our Lord says to Thomas, he says, Thomas, because you have believed, uh, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so there is a, a, a blessing in store for the body of Christ who believe that Christ has been risen from the dead and have not witnessed and in that event, from the point of view of we've seen our risen Lord, there is a blessing that our Lord has in store for the church for, uh, for believing the testimony of these individuals whom God has allowed to see uh, the, the risen Lord as being raised from the dead. And so we have this testimony. So Christ is the first fruits. That's not all we want to touch on this particular um, topic. We're going to carry on one more teaching, most probably uh, dealing with Christ, the first fruits, for it is central to the Christian faith, um, our risen Lord, um, and that we do need to be fully assured on this, that Christ is risen indeed, and that our sins are forgiven, and we are children of the Most High God. And we know that there's so many other things that God has given us, but we're dealing with uh, the, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, Christ is the first to have been raised from the dead. We're dealing with looking at his resurrection, who's seen him, how his resurrection has impacted on the world, how his resurrection impacted on Satan's kingdom. And uh, we'll continue with this teaching in the next uh, series, uh, next teaching of the next uh, day or two. And we're going to end it on that point today. Amen.